I had a, a title this study, I would call it the, the, the three, three bears. Now I know what you're automatically thinking. It's, it's not those three bears, all right? Uh, if we could show the other, other slide, um, it's this kind of bear. And if you guys notice, what do you guys pick up from that? It's, it's everyone helping each other. Everyone picking up uh, the other person's uh, load, uh, so to speak. And so, three things, uh, uh, three bears. Uh, bear in, forgive me, a lot of the time this is a good way for us to be able to remember the study. So, bear in, what is our responsibility? We're going to talk about bear with, how is that lived out in a practical way? What does bear with mean? And then we're going to talk about bear up. How can it be done? So if you have a Bible, turn to Galatians 6. We're going to be looking at Galatians 6, 1 through 5. As you're turning there, I was reading the story of a, of a, of a man named Larry Lemieux who was competing in the 1998 Olympic Games in Seoul, Korea. Um, you might have heard of him. Larry was competing in a, a sailing uh, 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 trial as a part of the Canadian team. He was in a single competition, and he was in second place after the fourth of five races, and it looked like he was actually going to take the silver medal after many, many years of grueling training. But as Larry was racing towards the finish line, he saw a boat from Singapore, which was competing in a totally different race than his, and the boat was capsized, and its two sailors were in the water, and they were, they were injured. So Larry broke away from his own race, sailed over to rescue them, and he waited with the men until he could be transferred or they could be transferred to a patrol boat. And then he then went on to complete his race, coming in not silver second, but in 22nd, uh, ending any chance that he had for a, for a medal. But to his surprise, word got out of what he did or what happened, and the International Yacht Racing Union announced that he should be awarded uh, some kind of a, a medal, an honorary silver medal, and the Olympic Committee actually agreed and they awarded him a medal for embodying the Olympic ideal of sportsmanship, sacrifice, and courage. And I just thought that was a cool story to kind of uh, to, to, to read or to hear about. Um, because it's interesting, the few people, uh, I mean, many of you could name Larry Amuse, but we're talking about him today. But few people could, could actually name the individual that won the gold medal that year. Can any of you? I thought so, right? But here we are 30 years later, still talking about Larry Lemieux. Not for the, the, the championship he won, not um, you know, because of anything that he did as far as winning the race, but because he forgot about himself and he gave up the medal in order to bear someone else's burden. I'm not sure uh, you know, what situation Larry is in, if he knows the Lord, where his soul is, but whether he knew it or not, he was fulfilling the law of Christ. And I love that Lemuse was awarded the medal for this act because it's a picture how the church, guys, is going to be recognized. We live in a world that is very competitive. A lot of us are very competitive. We go to the men's retreat, man, you should see the guys playing basketball and stuff like that. And, and we live in bodies that, if we're honest, um, they're, they're constantly looking to please what? Self. We're always looking to please self, the, the flesh. And then we have an enemy that uses both those things to take us away from the will of God and ultimately from God altogether. I remember hearing a comedian uh, um, who, who said that he remembered when he was a kid 
if the doorbell rang in his house, everyone in the house got excited. The doorbell rang, ding, 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 and everybody got up, and they got happy, and they all ran to the door, and they opened the door, and let's say it was an uncle, Uncle Peter, how are you? They kissed him, they hugged him, they brought him in. His mom brought out the china, right? You must remember the china that was put away that only for special occasions brought out the china for guests. She had entomens there that she only saved for the guests. She allowed the guests to sit on those couches. You guys are old enough to remember those couches that had the plastic on them, remember? She would allow them to sit on there. And he said, man, it was just different. We were happy. The phone rang. There was no cell phones back there. The phone rang, and my dad would lift up his finger and say, I, I, I dare not, no one, pick up that phone. We have company. And he says, compared to now. And it was a comedian, right? So he was, he was kind of making a joke of it. But he says, my house. He says, the, 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 the doorbell rings. And all of a sudden, I, I, I make the signal. And then we go into like commando mode, man. We go on the floor. We roll on the floor. We peek out, you know, the, the, the drapes. We're like, who is it? Who is it? Why? Because, because it's about comfort now. We don't have the, the, the gift of hospitality that once existed. We don't really care about the other person. We, we rather take care of our own needs first. Matthew ten thirty nine. Jesus says, he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. What does that mean? Well, I think that for Christians, it means that our fruit, our reward, our, our responsibility is not to come in, in first place. It's to come into second place. Or, or like Larry Lemieux, 22nd place, right? So as you're in Galatians, let's read it together. Galatians 6, verses 1 through 5. It says, brethren... If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks of himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. It's interesting to me, guys, that as you read this, notice who Paul is addressing. He's not addressing the world. He's not addressing the sinner, the guilty. You know, he talks about someone who has fallen, someone who sinned. Uh, he's not addressing an exclusive group in the church, such as the pastors or the super-Christians. It says, you who are spiritual... And yes, I admit, that excludes some of us. That excludes maybe those that are babes in Christ. That excludes maybe those that are carnal, that you know that God is still doing a work, if that actually exists. But it should not exclude most of us. Those of us that have been walking with the Lord for some time, we are included in that you who are spiritual, because we should be. We're Christians. We have the, 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 the Holy Spirit residing in us. God lives inside of us. He simply says, brethren, notice. What, what is a brethren? Well, the Bible defines brethren as people that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. 
brethren are, are, are people that voluntarily do the will of God because of their love of God and follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. You heard the saying, right? You're either a what? You're either a saint or you're an ape. There's no in-between. A brethren is not someone exclusive, but actually inclusive. It's the church. It's everyone who trusts in Christ, period. If you are a Christian, you are a brethren. We are all brethren. So what does Paul tell the brethren to do? Well, if we read that here, he says to restore her. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. The word restore, if you were to look it up, it means to mend, like what fishermen did when they were mending their nets. It also means to restore like a, a broken bone. Have you ever broken a bone? At some point or another, that bone had to be set. I was actually watching videos today of, I don't know why, but I was watching videos of people getting their bones reset. And man, it wasn't a pretty picture. I mean, just they were just grabbing men, grown men, okay, like just grabbing onto things and just like, ah, because it's so painful. And, and that's also true, guys, for, for the spiritual act of restoring. It's painful, it, it hurts. Sometimes restoring means doing the, the hard work of calling someone on the carpet for their sins. It hurts, and it's not pretty. I want to give you an example. The prophet Nathan, a lot of us know that story, 2 Samuel 12. David was the king. He had fallen to the sin of adultery, which eventually led to lying, and then eventually led to murder. And he had actually thought he had gotten away with it. But in 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven, it tells us, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So in chapter 12, it begins with Nathan, who in essence, guys, if you think about it, served the king. He was a prophet, and at those times, the, the, the prophets, uh, you know, they were prophets of God, but, but the kings brought him in. A king was to be respected. A king was to be feared. So here's Nathan having to call David on the carpet. And you guys remember how he did it, right? You guys are Bible students. He told David about two men. One was rich, one was poor. The rich man had everything he could imagine. He was filthy rich, including many, many animals, many sheep. But the poor man had only what? One little lamb whom he loved very much. So Nathan told David that this rich man was, was going to entertain a, a, a traveler, a visitor, a guest. And instead of taking from his many sheep, he took the lamb to feed the traveler that belonged to the poor man. So we know the story. David was, was, was angry. He was, he was, he was passionate. Uh, he couldn't believe what was going on. And so what did he do? He ordered the man to pay four times uh, the value of the lamb. And then he says, and then you need to kill him. He needs to be killed. And so in 2 Samuel 12, 7, it says that Nathan said to David, you are, you are that man. This is part of restoration sometimes, is calling someone on the carpet, showing them their sins, because that's the only way that you're able then after to point them to the Lord. And so sometimes it involves the ugly, the ugly work of restoring, of resetting the bones. Now, restoration doesn't mean that, that someone won't have to deal with the consequence of their sin. And I think we need to understand that the Bible clearly tells us in Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. 
For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Romans 2.6, it says, Who will render to each one according to his deeds? Who is God? Notice that, that this text, when you read it, it actually brings up two bears. Right? In verse 2, it says, Bear one another's burdens. And then in verse 5, it says, Bear his own load. Now, that appears to be a contradiction. It's not. The Greek word for burden in verse 2 is the word baras, which means excessive burdens or burdens that are so heavy that they weigh us down. We can't go on. But in verse 5, the Greek word for the word burden or load is the word forkian, which means cargo or the burden of a daily toll. This, this word describes the everyday things we all need to do the loads like, like a knapsack that we wear around us, but it also can signify something that we have to deal with because we did it, because we reap what we sow. We have to, we have to reap what we sow. We have to remember, guys, that though God is, is, is just in punishing the sin, he still loves the sinner. And as hard as that is, we must also love the sinner. That doesn't mean be chummy-chummy. That doesn't mean bring them in. Depends on the nature of the sin, but it does mean that we need to love the sinner because we're all experiencing that same grace, right? We're all sinners. We all fall short. It it ain't easy. Nathan could have been killed when he confronted David. I, I don't know if this is true, but perhaps he knew Bathsheba. Perhaps he knew Uriah. And the sins that David committed hurt him in a personal, personal way. Restoring someone after sin, especially if the sin is atrocious, if the action of a person hurts a lot of people, is very, very difficult to deal with. It hurts. But we have to approach it with God's heart. We have to. When we point, even the Judases of this world, we have to point them to the Lord. We have to call them on the carpet. That's part of restoration. But after they've, they've repented, after they've seen the light of what they've done, then our next step is to point them to God. So that's what bearing is. Bearing with your own responsibilities that you have as Christians to love, even the most atrocious of sin. Not sin, but the sinner. To be willing to be used by God, even though you don't want to, even though there's every part of you that doesn't want to, because you're a a great sinner. Because we've been shown so much grace. Notice verse 4 says, But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. What that is saying is keep your eyes on yourself. Keep your eyes on yourself. Do what God has called you to do, which is to love. Do the best that you can. We, we can't have our eyes on others, only on our own actions. And that's really the only thing that we're going to be held accountable for, is what we do, what we say. Now, of course, there's, there's different forms of restoration, right? We talked about that a little earlier. If they're truly repentant and only the Lord knows, uh, then they could be restored to the Lord. But that doesn't mean that they're restored back to fellowship. That doesn't mean that now all of a sudden you can trust them the way that they were once trusted. No. It just means that, that now you have the ability, you've got the freedom because they've repented, because they've come clean, to point them to the Lord. 
and to pray for them. There are other sins where, where, where they're, they're bad. They're bad. But as the Lord leads, you do restore them to fellowship. Because that's a reminder that, man, we, we all need the grace of God. We all need it. There is none of us, none that have not fallen short of the glory of God. And so you have to be led by the Lord. But there are times when a person has to carry his own burdens, like it says in verse 5. Where they got to deal with it. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. It doesn't mean that the church doesn't love them. But this here, you have to carry your own burden. We can't carry it for you. I don't think Paul is necessarily talking about those who intended to sin here. Uh, sometimes there are, are tares um, within the wheat that the devil sends uh, or manipulates to hurt the church, to, to bring shame to the Lord's name, to drag his, his name through the mud. Then there are others who, because of the weakness of the flesh, they just fall suddenly. I think that's who Paul is addressing. Warren Worsby said the same thing. Paul presents a hypothetical uh, case of a believer who was suddenly tripped up and falls into sin. The word overtaken carries the idea of being surprised, so it's not the case of deliberate disobedience. But nevertheless, you have to point people to the Lord. You have to have the ability to say, I'll pray for you. We have to be careful how we judge, guys. The, the Bible doesn't say that we shouldn't judge. It just warns us on how to judge. In Matthew 7, 2, it says, Judge not that you not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He's not telling us not to judge. He's telling us to be careful how we go about it. In John 7, 24, Jesus says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. We're not told not to judge. If someone says, well, the Bible says not to judge, you shouldn't judge because that's the same way that you're going to be judged. No, the Bible says that we have to righteously judge, that we have to have his heart when we judge. Another verse, Proverbs 31, 9 says, open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. But why should I? That person doesn't deserve it. They're getting what they did. They deserve what they're actually facing, well, you might be right, and it might be part of God's judgment. But again, this text isn't talking to the sinner, it's talking to the saint. It's talking to us. What are you going to do? You've you got to remember the context of Galatians. Paul was warning the church of Galatians against who? Against legalists, against religious people, that all they cared was about the rules and regulations, and they didn't have the heart to love the people like God did. So what Paul writes here in verse 3, for anyone thinks of himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And that right there can mean that this person has forgotten what he was forgiven for. If he's not willing to go and, and, and to carry each other's burdens to restore such a man, he's forgotten what he was forgiven for. It's like the parable of the man that we all know of, right, in Matthew 18, a man who was forgiven by the king, as a, he was a servant of the king, he was forgiven for a debt that was astronomical. He begged the king. And the king says, I, I'm going to have pity on you, and he forgave him. But then he went, right? He saw his friend owe him $5. And he says, where's my five bucks? And he says, I don't got it, I'll pay you back Tuesday, a la wimpy. 
and Popeyes, right? And what did he do? He says, Ah, oh, now you're paying me today. And in fact, I'm throwing you in jail until you could pay me. And so the, 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 the king, uh, the master, finds out and, and, and he calls them back and he says, Man, I, I've forgiven you for so much and you can't forgive your brother for so little. It's the same thing that happens with us. That's what I think it's talking about. Consider yourself lest you also be tempted. Yes, it's talking about the fact when you restore someone, be careful if you go restore someone at the bar because if you're apt to, 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 to drink, you might fall there. But I think it's also talking about be careful that you're not tempted to fall into thinking that you're better and that, that, that God hasn't called you to love even the unlovable. So that's barren. Bear with. Bear with is where we start getting into the practical side. Bear with one another's burdens and so, so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 2. Someone said we develop the skill. I, I love the saying. Uh, we develop a skill for detecting the burdens of others and we devote ourselves to daily making them lighter. Imagine if we all did that. If we all devoted ourselves to the skill of trying to detect each other's burdens and saying, I am going to do my best to make those burdens lighter. There's people in this church that have that gift. There's people in that, that, this church that are exercising that skill. Imagine what the church would be if we all did it. If we all did what that, that graphic showed, right, where we're all kind of lifting each other's burdens as we're carrying our own, and the person behind us is then lifting ours. That's what it's talking about here whether that's restoring someone for sin or, or helping someone in need, the Bible repeatedly calls us to love, guys. You know, when my mother passed away, uh, I felt the touch of the church. I, I felt someone coming underneath me and, and helping me with the burden, with the grief, with the loss that I had. And, and I would venture to think that anyone who has lost someone in this type of setting where we're a family, where we're a community, can say the same thing. We need each other. We need each other. If someone is hurting and God has blessed you and led you, then, hey, maybe he's going to use you to bless that individual. You have to pray. You have to ask God, how could I be a good steward of what you've given me? People are carrying guilt. They're, they're carrying anxieties. They're carrying sadness. They're carrying fears. They're carrying unresolved anger. And we should look for ways to restore them, to restore them with love, to restore them through the word of God, to restore them through prayer. Pastor Manny was mentioning, and I hope he doesn't mind. Uh, I don't think he will. Yesterday as a church, we're, we're going through some heavy, heavy things. And as a, as a, as a, as a group of guys, uh, leaders, pastors, we got together last night and, and he was telling us that he received a text from a pastor, Pastor Larry Powers from Calvary Chapel Golden Springs, who had no clue of what we're going through right now. But he says, brother, and I'm paraphrasing, I sense within my spirit that God wants me to pray for you, and I've been praying for you all day long. And Pastor Manny was telling us that, man, that when he received that text, he felt that it was like almost like a text from God encouraging him telling them to continue to have the courage to go on. Because when you get hit, especially with heavy things, man, it, it drops you. It, 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 it tempts you to have discourage. 
And if you look at that word, you just take D-I-S out, it means no courage. And as Christians, that's the one thing that we need to have. We need to have courage. Galatians 5.13 says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity to the flesh, but what? Through love serve one another. Galatians 5.14, the very next verse is, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, I'll, I'll do it for my friends. I'll do it because I like them because they like me. But I'm not going to do it for them because they don't like me. I'm not going to do it for her because she never talks to me. Seriously? Back in the law in Exodus 23, 5, it says, If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burdens and you refrain from helping it, it says you shouldn't do that. You shall surely help him with it. That was the law. How much more the, the, the law of Christ now? John 13, 14, we all know that verse. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also ought to wash one another's feet. Galatians 6.10, therefore, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. You guys notice a common word? It's, it's one another, especially to the house of faith. You know that the Christian church has been criticized for shooting its own soldiers? What does that mean? That means as soon as one of our soldiers do something bad, we, we take the shotgun and shoot them. We can't do that. We have to love them. We have to pray for them. Again, we have to use wisdom. That doesn't mean that you allow them back into the fellowship. It doesn't mean that you restore them, but it does mean that when they've repented, that you pray with them, that you pray for them, and that you point them back to the Lord. But in order to do that, guys, Fellowship is so, so important. I was talking to someone that says, you know, man, we really shouldn't uh, uh, be involved with what's going on in the church. We should just go for Christ. And I understand that statement. We have to keep our eyes on the Lord. But if we just follow that or we just keep our eyes on the Lord and not look at what each other is doing, we walk in, we sit down in the chairs, and then we leave. That's not keeping your eyes on the Lord. Because when we keep our eyes on the Lord, that just dominoes. Into, into loving others, into being sensitive to what others are going through, is to caring for one another. So we have to be sensitive. We have to fellowship. Hebrews 10.25 tells us what? To not neglect what? Getting together, huh? The assembly of ourselves, as in the matter of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. This massacre that happened today is an indication that that day is approaching. The trial that this church is going through right now is an indication that that day is approaching. And so instead of splintering and instead of blaming, instead of running away, what we need to do is we need to gather together. We need to be one. We need to fulfill the law of Christ. I love the word others. I'm sure you've heard this story. I think Pastor Manny has actually told it before. But William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, uh, was so sick one day to be able to go to an international convention, and I think he didn't have enough money, or he sent the servant who went to go uh, deliver a, a, a telegram. 
and the servant didn't have enough money, so all he had enough was for one word. And the word that he used to inspire, to encourage the Salvation Army was the word others. Others. I, I, I think that if we put more emphasis on others, our plate actually gets lighter because we stop worrying about what, what we're going through and we focus on what the other individual's going through. You want to fulfill God's law? What are you talking about the law? We aren't under the law. We're New Testament Christians. We're Calvary kids. Paul was teaching the Galatian church about legalist. But one way of teaching a church about legalist is showing them now how not to be a legalist. And that's what he was doing. Those who were under the law were under it by obligation as a tutor to show us that we're going to fall short under the law. But we're under a new law. Our, our new law is the law of salvation. Our new law is that Christ went to the cross for us even when we were still his enemies. That's the law that we operate under. It's not a burden. It's that we get to. It's that we have the heart of God and we display that heart. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then he says, in the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But how? You bear in. You understand your responsibility. You understand that some of the things that you do, that you're going to reap, and that you can't put that on someone else's plate, but you also understand that you have the responsibility to go and bear someone's burden. You bear with. You bear with, you bear, you get together. To, we get together. You've seen probably that video, right, where there, there's a, there's a, 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 a motorcycle uh, um, who gets into a, an accident and he slides underneath the car and he's stuck underneath the car. And the individual that owns the car gets out of the car, and he's trying to lift it with all his might, but he ain't going to lift that car. And all of a sudden, you start seeing people arrive, four people. Now the car just gets up a little. The bumper kind of comes up, right? Ten people. Now there's, there's some lift. Twenty people. Now all of a sudden, they're able to lift that car who is basically over that individual. That's what the church should be like. So bear in, bear with, and then the last one is bear up. Well, how do we do it? How? I have enough on my plate. I don't have the strength to be able to give other people the strength that is needed to bear their burdens. I have enough burdens of my own. Well, I want you guys to look at whose law it is. What does it say there in the text? Is it man's law? Is it Moses' law? It's Christ's law, huh? The Bible nowhere specifically defines what precisely is the law of Christ, but it's obvious to anyone that is paying attention that that is love. Watch, turn with me to, to Mark chapter uh, 12. Mark chapter 
I'm sorry, not, I'm, I'm, I'm taking you down the wrong road. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. If you want to find it in Matthew, you go to Matthew 23, 34 through 40. I was taking you down valley when we're supposed to be going down Garvey, huh? Mark chapter 12, verse 28. It says, Then one of the scribes came out having heard them reasoning, reasoning about, reasoning about the resurrection, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, What is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord with your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. That's all that he was asked for, what is the greatest commandment. But Jesus went on and he says, And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment. Notice Jesus made it into one greater than the scribe just asked for the greatest, but Jesus encapsulated it and he gave them to love God with everything you have and then let that spill over into people, into your neighbor. And so if you're saying, I just can't do it. I got five kids at home. I got a bunch of bills. I got a bunch of problems. Understand that God is never going to call us to do something that he doesn't equip us to be able to do. Hebrews 13, 20 says, Now may the God of peace who brought... Up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do as well, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Second Peter 1, 3 through 4 is a similar verse. It says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these, through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So someone might say, I, don't, I, I, don't, I have enough on my plate. I don't have the strength. Remember that the, 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 the strength, the skill that someone says, it needs to be developed. And it's developed through prayer. It's developed through being in his word. And it's developed by following his will, and that just simply means obedience. The most important thing that we need to remember besides um, the bears, or the three bears, is the last one, which is the bear up. Because we can't do this in our own strength, guys. We can't handle our own burdens and then handle somebody else's burdens. We need to be able to lift ours and others' burdens to God, bear up. Psalm 55, 22 is a beautiful uh, a, a psalm. It says, cast your burdens on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be, to be moved. It's the only way that we can do it. <clears throat> Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the, rate that is, the race that is set before us and then it says in verse 2, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that is set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. First Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. 
God loves us, guys. And, and if we fulfill his law by loving him and others as our father, he is going to be there to help us. And we have to know that. Even the unimaginable. Even the unimaginable. Even praying with someone who has done something atrocious, God will give you the strength to be able to do that. And actually to love them, to have pity, to have compassion for the individual, as hard as that is. Matthew 7 and 11 tells us that truth, huh? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, the Xboxes and the Playstations and all that, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good things to those who ask him? I remember our, our first Maria here. Maria real? No, she's not. Um, our first trip to Cambodia was the first trip that I ever went to Cambodia. It's the only time we ever went to Cambodia. But um, I remember uh, arriving in Singapore, and I was trying to remember if it was before or after. If it, I think it was the, the plane ride there. And it was after a 15-hour flight, and um, we stopped and had a layover in Singapore. It was like an all-night layover in Singapore. So someone had the bright idea because Alizar uh, was staying nearby. He actually was in Singapore in business, our friend Alizar, our brother. Um, and so someone had the, the bright idea, says, hey, let's go, let's go um, explore Singapore. You know, and, and, and we were going to go and eat uh, black craw. You know, it's a really delicious dish that uh, is specialized in Singapore. But we were looking for this black craw <laughs> restaurant for like two hours, and we must have walked like 15 miles. And the bad thing is, we weren't smart enough to say, let's put our luggage in a storage locker. We carried our luggage with us. And so you could just imagine, man. It was nighttime. It was after a 15-hour flight. We were tired, grumpy. It was hot. I mean, humid. And we're walking, I mean, for like two hours, it felt like. Carrying our suitcases, man. You know, we're from Almonte, so we don't have those ones that roll. We have to be the ones that carry. Right? And I remember, like, some of the sisters going with us and, and, like, us looking at them, and they're, like, tired and walking and stuff like that. And so, you know, we, 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 we try to do the right thing. Or Pastor, I'm just going to be honest with you, right? Pastor Manny, as always, says and does the right thing. He says, sisters, let us carry your luggage. And I already had, like, blisters on my feet. I had, like, I'm like, oh, Lord, they're strong enough, Lord. It'll be good for them, you know? <laughs> so there's a part of me that, like, no, I don't want to, Lord. It was going to be hard because it was already my luggage. And, and it was like, oh, no, Lord. But you had to do the right thing because they really couldn't bear that load that we can bear. And, and that, that. It's the same thing in the church, guys. We have to bear each other's burdens. We have to come together when there's pain. We have to um, lighten the load for each other. That's what God wants us to do. Love is the name of the game. Love for God and, and others. Um, the other day I was watching uh, a, a scene from, from uh, Brother Carlos' favorite movie, Hacksaw Ridge. How many of you guys have seen that movie? All right, those of you that didn't raise your hands, that means you didn't, right? Go rent it tonight. Um, it's a great movie because it's a real-life story of a, of, a, of a man named Desmond Doss 
who was credited for saving 75 fellow soldiers during a battle in Okinawa, World War II. This man was a, a Christian. He was a pacifist. He didn't believe in, in violence, but he wanted to serve his country. And so as he was there in this battle where there was a lot of people dying, all of a sudden he started saving people. He started picking up their load and dragging it through that battle scene over a cliff to safety. And there's one scene that Brother and I, Carlos, always talk about that is so powerful because this, this man, and it was a, a true story, he just kept saying, Lord, just one more. Just one more, Lord. Please help me to get one more. Do we have that heart? Do we have that heart? Because that's Christ's heart. We have to learn to bear in. Do what we're told. We have to carry our own load. We have to be responsible for what we do. Sometimes there's individuals that have burdens and they spill out of their pocket and they want other people to pick them up when they themselves are responsible to pick them up. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about those massive burdens that you just can't pick up alone. We have to bear with. We need to, to look to love others, to develop that skill, how to make their load easier. And then we need to bear up, guys. We, we look for him for strength because we, we can't do this by ourselves. We can't even lift up our own burdens, let alone someone else's, but that's what God has called us to do. And so as we close, I want to leave you with three questions that I want you to ask yourself that I've been asking myself. Are you the church or do you just come to church? Because if you just come to church the moment that there's something that is bad in the church, you're going to stop coming. You're not going to want to bear with each other's problems. You're going to say, I have my own problems as, as it is. I don't want to deal with that. But if you're the church, it's part of the body. And if the part of our body that is hurting, you treat it. So you have to ask yourself, are you the church? Are you a brethren? Do you fellowship? I believe that we should be people in the church that know other people in the church that are connected to others. You should know them by name. You should know where they serve, and you should grow with them. We have to use wisdom, of course, but it's important that we fellowship. Second thing that I want you to ask yourselves is, are you a son or daughter of encouragement, a paraclete, a Barnabas? We have to make it our, our, our daily task to encourage others, guys, to lift their burdens, to develop that skill. And then thirdly is, are, are you giving yourself to bear one another's burdens? Do you say, like Brother Reuben always says, I am my brother's keeper, right? Do you have that heart? Because someday you'll need it. Someday you're going to need it. But you're most likely to receive it when you've regularly been bearing other people's burdens. What's that last slide right there, Delina? John 19, 17, and he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. That wasn't his cross. That was our cross. But he bore it for us. Are we willing to do the same?